following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So, um, I don't know if some of you guys knew, but we are building a church building. Now, it's not built out of stone, so it doesn't have a cornerstone, but that's okay. It's built out of wood, and it's fine. But the thing about it is, is it still has a cornerstone, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today because, you know, when, we, when you build things, and some of you guys have built houses or you've maybe been at other churches that built the church building or whatever the case might be, you have all these things that you do. You know, you have to build, you've got to lay the foundation, you've got to extra, put the structure together and all these things, but before you do any of those things, you've got to have a plan, right? And it's amazing to me that the building is already pretty much built, and now we're just kind of working in, stalling all the different things. They're putting in a new fire suppression system, which is going to delay the construction a little bit, but that's okay. That's part of what happened. We said, hey, Lord, we would, we would ask you to be done on this date, and he was like, eh, yeah, I got another plan, and so we trust him. But the point is this. The point is this. No matter what you're doing or which, how long it takes, it's amazing to me Every time we get together, we were meeting with the contractor the other day, and it's like, let's go look at the plans. And you pull out the plans. They're like, oh, this is supposed to be there, and that's supposed to be there. Some of you guys might catch that. So, um, so I should have said, this one goes there, and that one goes there. Then you would have caught that one. But the idea here is, whatever it is, you go to the plans, and you go to back to where, why is this here, what are we doing, how are we doing it? And this story in, in both Isaiah 28, where we have this powerful poem from the prophet who is, who is announcing to the people God's judgment. And then we have this powerful pronouncement of grace, this proclamation of the gospel to everyone, to all people, both those who were in judgment and those you know, on the outside who didn't even know any of this. And it's so important to see how this works together because if, if, if we ask ourselves, why are we here? What are we doing? Eh, eh, it's because of the cornerstone. It's because of the cornerstone. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. Now you need to know this is the MLV. That's Mark's literal version for our visitors here. And that's because what I've done is this is my translation that I want us to see the words maybe differently than we, we do. Because something happens when you read the same thing over and over again. And some of us here and those listening in might have grown up Lutheran. I don't know if you know anything about Lutherans, but this is kind of like our flagship verse. I don't know if you knew that. And so, you know, you grow up as a Lutheran and you go to a Lutheran church, you're going to hear this verse early and often. And that's a good thing. It's a good verse. It's a good passage. And we should. And I will hope you have it written on your hearts. But the thing that, I, the thing that we want to do is, is not lose sight of what it actually says. Sometimes we can become so familiar with a thing, it's like an old glove, and you just don't even know it's there anymore. This is one I want us to know it's there. For God saved you, and I want to stop right there. The first phrase, God saved you. This is past tense. It's done. It's happened. So when somebody says, well, I got saved, I kind of think the Bible speaks a little differently about that. God saved you. You didn't get nobody saved. He got you saved. That's how this works. So God saved you. And if we were to even scroll back up in chapter 2 of Ephesians, you'd find out that um, it was while we were dead. And if you've ever seen a corpse jump off the table, I don't know that that works. So right to see, there was, one who, there was one corpse that stood up, and his name is Jesus. All the others, unless he was involved, they don't, they don't, that doesn't happen. And so for God saved you. You were saved by him when you could do nothing. 
you know, for some of us who grew up in that faith tradition, you might be thinking of your catechism, you know, and that's like, you know, I don't have any, there's no, no, none of my strength or power were involved in this. Um, it was God, and we get that from here, and among other places. But it's so clear here, for God saved you. Always remember that. And you're like, yeah, but at some point, I got involved. Yes, very much so. We're gonna talk about that. But the idea here is he saved you. And how did he save you? He saved you by grace. It's so important that we always define the word grace because you know you can you can define it in a number of ways. One of my favorites, we always I always love to tell the acronym. It's the it's the acrostic, I guess you'd say, of the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Pretty good. Pretty good. It kind of has a ring to it. But it, it there's it's more there's more. It's, it's him giving you and me what we did not deserve. That's the pure definition of grace. And this is such a powerful thing to remember because as we, we were just a few weeks ago, we were studying anxiety and how you know, a lot of people struggle with anxiety and I, and I am among them and we all do one way or another. And one of the things that happens in anxiety we saw was that we get to this lie that I don't deserve God's help. Well, that's just, that's just fine, because it turns out that's not what it's about. It's about grace. It's not about what you and I deserve. It's about what he does for you, and which is love. He loves you and loves me, and we were saved by his love, not by our anything. And he says, how are we saved? So we're saved by grace. It was his grace, his kindness, his undeserved loving kindness, his, his that which we do not deserve, which he pours out to you and to me. And how do we connect with that? through faith. See, now faith is another word we use all the time, and I don't know that we define it. And you know, we always remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, where it says, faith is the evidence of things unseen, right? And you're like, oh, that's great. And for, I don't know about you, but I hear that, and I'm like, that just really doesn't clear anything up for me. And, and it doesn't answer the question, and I want you to always have this simple definition, which is a, a translation of that, which is to say, faith is living on God's terms living on God's terms, not yours. And if you study yourself, like think about your own like attitudes, and I'm talking about myself here, I'm using myself as an example, I find that I tend to apply my terms most of the time. I don't know if I'm the only one. I'm like, well that could never happen because, dot, 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 they're my terms. It's my understanding of the world. It's my heart, my worries, my fears, my anxiety kicks in, and all of a sudden now I'm defining all of these facts based upon my terms and not his. Faith is saying, actually there was a manger just outside of Bethlehem where God Almighty, the glory of the universe was placed in it as a helpless baby. That's just how he chooses to roll, right? And you know, if you're sitting there with me, you're like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. I think I would have just, if it was me, I would have just like descended on some sort of castle or something and be like, I'm in charge, guys. This is how this is going to work. And then, of course, that wouldn't work for a number of reasons, but um, the bottom line is that it's, that's not how he did it. We need to trust him. And then this phrase here, you had nothing to do with it. In the Greek, it's just like, it's like it didn't come out of you. That's the raw translation. It didn't come out of you. It didn't come from you. You had nothing to do with it. It's God's gift. And you're like, well, but faith is something that I actually do. Apparently, the Bible says something different. See, this is the thing. We see it right off the bat. Faith is God, life on God's terms. And so God says, you, you're saved by grace through faith, 
and you have nothing to do with it. And you're like, but, I, but, I, but faith is like an active trust in God. And I would agree with that definition. But how did we get it, right? How did it come to us? Oh, there's that next sentence. It's just, well, it's one of our favorite things about Christmas. It's God's gift. So you're like, but I don't understand because if, if, it's some, if faith is something I do, how did he give it to me? And may I just say that's the first act of faith is to believe that, is to believe him and to not try to figure it out. And I, guys, I am, an, I am a tech guy. 20 years of building servers and computers and putting TCP IP networks together and making sure your DHCP server worked all the time. Everybody's like, what? And so all of these kinds of things, my, my focus was really on Microsoft Exchange, but that's not important right now. The whole point is to say this, I really wanna know how it works. <laughs> I really do. I wanna look at the, I wanna open the, bl- the blueprints again. I wanna look at the plans and see how this works. Guys, this is the he drew up the plans. It's God's gift and trust him. And I know we don't always like that, but you should like this. This is something to trust him about. Trust him. It's not by works. He goes on to make sure we don't miss this. It's not by works because if we don't, it's not about boasting. You know, can you imagine? I mean, you know, there is a time in, this, in you know, later in, this, in, in one of other, Paul's other letters where he's like, if we're going to boast about something, I'm going to boast about Jesus. And you know, if we really want to boast something, I'm going to boast that I am the chief of sinners. That's what he calls himself. If he's like, if we're going to talk about sin and we're going to talk about boast, let's compare sins because I actually killed Christians and helped them be rounded up and put in prison and I fought the living Jesus. Let's, let's compare sins. That's what, if you really want to do it, I'm the chief of sinners, Paul says. To which I'd be like, I don't know. I got a pretty good list. I could compare. And don't worry, we don't have to do that. But my point is to say, is to say we're not going to compare in his other letter, the letter of Romans, which we have to quote in every sermon, Romans chapter three says, there is no difference for all have fallen short of the glory of God and, everyone cuts it off there, but there's an and there, are freely justified by the love of God through, that came through Christ Jesus, okay? And this is what happens. So no boasting, no comparisons, we don't need to do that. Why? Because we are his masterpiece. Now the Greek word there for masterpiece is Poieo, which just sounds fun. It's fun to say. say Poieo, right? You can say that. And, and, you know, the most basic definition is just something he made, right? It's just something you make. But the, the second, in all the lexicons, the second definition is a poem or something an artisan would make. Something that, that um, like if you were a painter, you'd paint it. If you were a poet, like Isaiah we read earlier, you would craft the words in a very p- p- specific way that communicates so much. That's how God made you. That's how God made you. He made you as a masterpiece. Not long ago, we were, in, we were in the Psalms and we saw where it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what God thinks about you. You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Yes, he wants you to do good works. And we're gonna talk about what those are. But he's prepared you for them. There, he's got it all planned out. He has the plans. And so what you and I today, we're, we're coming back and we're opening the plans. We're looking at what, the, what do they say? Oh, we, this one goes there, that one goes there, right? That's what we're doing. And so here it is. Why does he want us to do this? Because he wants us to walk in them. Now, this word here for walk is the Greek word peripateo. And if you've been around me a long time, you've, you'll, I love that word. It's kind of like a walkabout. You know, you think of the Australians, they would just a walkabout. And it's just this idea, wherever you go, it's, and it's just your, it's your life, right? See, God, isn't, God doesn't care how many little old ladies you help along across the street down at Branson Landing. That's my joke. He doesn't care about that. 
He cares about like the people that are in your house. They're in your, in your office. They're in your school. These are the people that you're like with all the time. That's what he wants you, that's where some good works need to happen. And, and how that works is, is, that, is that sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but you have a disagreement. Does that ever happen in your house? There are disagreements? There are disagreement. Um, you have disagreement. And so then what do you do when there's a disagreement? And usually what my thing is, I have this volcanic eruption of anger, right? This is what, how, why you just get angry. And you're like, Urgh. And then an, an argument ensues and people's feelings get hurt, Okay. And so what happens is in this, where we walk in the good works, where we walk in him having created us as the masterpiece, it sets us free to see one another as not idiots or jerks, which is how we feel in those moments, but in, instead to see them as our brother, our sister, our loved one, our companion, our family, and to say, I'm sorry. We say we're sorry, and we and we trust in him, we go back up to the first verse where it talks about grace through faith. And grace is something you do not deserve, praise be to Jesus' name, and faith is taking it on his terms, which is to say, forgive as you have been forgiven, Jesus said over and over and over again. This is what we do, this is how we walk in them. Take a look at verses 11, and then we're we're gonna take a little bit of 11 and look at 12 and 13, see how this, because one of the things he did for his building project is he leveled the ground. Now around here in Branson, this is a much required thing. And so we're very thankful to our partners at the Missouri District who leveled the ground that we're building on. They actually came in, there were land movers, or you know, all the stuff. They took the trees out, they leveled the ground, they made it so you can build somewhere. Okay? And in Branson that's so critical because there are no level ground and they're all if it, if there is ground, it has trees, right? So therefore, he says, remember you who were Gentiles, who are Gentiles, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And we have to pause right here. Pause. In our world today, there are still a bunch of Christians that go around saying that we don't belong to Israel. Like that Christians don't belong to Israel. And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. But anyway, so that's, I just want you to know that. So if you hear that, you're just kind of like, well, this isn't what the Bible says. So because we used to not be in Israel, that's true. But he says, he says, look at this. And, and just so we're mis- not, mis- you're like, well, no, he doesn't mean Israel. He means like something else. Oh, what does he mean? He means, he means the covenants of the promise and, and all of the things that go along with that, hope and without God, right? Because if, if you weren't part of Israel, you didn't have God. That's kind of like what it means to be Israel. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of Christ. And what this, what this is so important is so that you don't have to sit there and worry about categories and things of that nature. You just trust in the Lord, right? Because he leveled the ground. It's all clear. There are no obstacles. There are no barriers. Well, we're going to talk about barriers in the next passage. But the idea here is he has, set this, he has set us free. And what about those barriers? Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. He says, because he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Now, this is so important, guys. If we base our relationships as fellow Christians on anything other than Jesus, we will hurt each other. Kind of works out that way in your house, too. 
Kind of works that way at work and at school and everywhere else you're playing or doing whatever. If we base our relationship on our attributes or the attributes of other people or how, whether, how much I like your personality or you like mine, everybody's like, I don't like Mark's personality, whatever it might be, wherever you're at in that, in that exchange, Jesus must be our peace, our shalom, the restoration of that which is broken or torn. Look what he did. He, ha- he has made the two one, the two which were the Gentiles and the Jews. In other words, two different people groups. He made them one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of his hostility. At the temple, if you were in the first century and you were like wanting to go hear Jesus talk when he was at the temple and you were a Gentile, you could not go into the main temple courts. You couldn't do it. You had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile was someone who was not born of the lineage of Abraham. And I think everybody here but Lair is, is of that. Unless you so I got some Abrahamites in here, let me know. But Lair told me he is. And so the idea is we got one Jew in the room, so to speak, in terms of descendant from Abraham. He's the only one that could go in. All the rest of us got to stay outside. And I mean... Wow, that's mean. I guess like we, we talked about how, you know, we had to put a fence up because we're building our building because the several dollar seats parking their cars there. Praise God, that's awesome. But we had to put a fence up because, you know, we don't want to <laughs> mess the building up. But when the building's done, fence is coming down because everyone's welcome, right? And so the idea here is, is we don't want to have any barriers. Jesus tore down the barrier. Sometimes barriers are important. You've got to have fences. That's what they're there for. They're to keep things separate. But not the temple, not the house of God, not the place where we gather, whether it's in our living rooms, it's at the grind on Saturday night, it's over, I hope Ed and Deb can hear us today over at their house church, wherever it might be, okay? Wherever it might be, if, if you, the, the barrier's been torn down. The barrier's been torn down. The dividing wall of hostility, oh, you're just a goyim. That's, that, was, that was the word, the, the word for Gentile in Hebrew. You're the goyim. No, 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 no more of that. How did he do it? How did he do it? Most people don't think this is in the Bible. They think the Bible is about commandments and regulations. That's what they think the Bible, most people who, of course, they haven't read a lot of it, but they read parts of it, and then, you know, you're like, well, it's just a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. That's what the Bible is. And yet here we have this proclamation right here in the New Testament. That's kind of an important part. In the New Testament where it says they're abolished. And you're like, it doesn't mean abolished. It means abolished. Like if you work up the, look up the dictionary for the Greek word, it's like abolished. The other thing, you know, the other, the other thing could be like destroyed. You know, it's abolished. How did he do it? When he was on the cross. And what did he say when he was on the cross? He said, it is finished. And when he said that, no one needed to fulfill the law anymore because he fulfilled it. You and I are not under the law, Romans chapter 6 says. We are under grace. Well, isn't that where we started? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That which you do not deserve. God's love. His unbreaking, always and forever love. Undeserved loving kindness. Jesus abolished all of the commandments. Now, certainly, we still love to read them because guess what? There turns out commandments are very helpful for loving your neighbor. I don't know if you ever knew this. That. Because it turns out if I don't murder and I don't steal and I don't commit adultery and I don't do all these things, my relationships go really good because God's law is actually his will and it turns out that's a good thing. The difference is, is we don't have to somehow obey every, every jot and tittle in order to make it to heaven, which is what most people think. 
Because Advent is about heaven coming down. Heaven coming to a manger. And being here to bring heaven back to us, to tear down the wall of hostility and abolish those things that keep us separate from God. Take a look at verses 19 and 20. Consequently, I love that. Just like, because of all of this, with all of this in mind, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, his oikanos. This is his, this is like, you know, if you, in, their, in their time, an oikanos would be the people who lived together. They lived together. Like these are the people who live in your house. That's the way God thinks about you. You live in my house. That's what God thinks. He looks at you and he says, hi, you, you live in my house. I love you. And I know that some of us are like, I don't know about that, Mark. I mean, if you, if he, if you knew, Mark, what God knew, he wouldn't say that. May I just say to you right now, he says that to you. You are members of his household. You live in his house. And that household is built on the foundation, not of your good works, but of his words. His words recorded by the apostles, recorded by the prophets, which means all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, all of it with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And as a Chiefs fan, this is the only time the word chief really applies in a positive way in the Bible, so I always like to hold on to that. But the point being, that's a joke, by the way, but the point of that is to say this, is to remind us that he is the cornerstone. It does, nothing matters. So we were talking the other day, and we are like, well, you know, if the building's not gonna be done in time, like, well, when is it gonna be done, and what's gonna happen? And first of all, our friends, the Lynn Widows, were like, dude, we'll just make it work. You know, so we're like praising God and giving thanks for, to them for that. But then the other thing is to say that, you know what, even if the building's done and we move in and then some plane crashes on it or whatever, what are we going to do then? You know what? It doesn't matter because we got Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus said, nah, that's nothing. That isn't what he said. He said, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there with them. Which is why... It's so important that we always remember his building project. He is the cornerstone. Take a look at Ephesians 2, verses 21 and 22. He says, In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. Is he talking about a building there? And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And I'm including chapter one, verse 10 there. So, it sounds like something came disconnected there. Um, this is so important. So Aaron, you're gonna need HDMI connected there. So in the, when he talks about the whole building, Kind of, I'm resetting my brain because my tech guy kicked in right there. You got to watch out. Right? You got to watch out. My tech guy kicked in. So, so, and I'm thinking, which cables came unplugged and all these things. So, now we're going back to Jesus, right? Because it turns out he is the foundation. And this is his building project. His building project is you and me. His building project is you and me. And, and building us up into his holy temple. His holy temple. Built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. So not only are he, does, he, does he say, you are living in my house, but he is saying, I'm actually making you into my house. I'm actually making you into my house. And so what that means is that you and I are together with him forever. And we don't have to worry because it is by grace you were saved through faith. 
not by works so that no one has to boast, but this is who you are. And he's doing this because he wants not just to, so that you'll die and go to heaven, although that's awesome, praise God, but so that heaven and earth can be brought back together again, which is the way they were originally designed to be. Now, you can't see the picture because some cable came unplugged. But on the screen, if you could see the picture, I'm going to describe it to you now, you would see these, these four words, gather, grow, encourage, and share. So when the building is built, it'll be just one of many places where we gather, we grow, we encourage, and share. I don't know if you guys knew this, we gather on Saturday nights at five o'clock over at Hollister Coffee Company to, to, to grow and do a little grinding because it's in a coffee shop, that makes sense. But the grinding is this discussion to say, hey, how, do we, how does this work? How does this apply to me? I don't understand that word. How do, what does this mean? To, to grow in God's word. So we, gr- we gather at one Wednesday mornings over at Stonebridge and we, we grow in God's word there by reading the Bible together and eating breakfast, which is really yummy. And then sometimes you guys are in your own houses and you're like, maybe, you're, maybe you do this at Christmas where you like read Luke chapter two or something um, and, and, and share the story of Jesus with your family. I don't know how any of it does it, but wherever we gather, we grow and we encourage and we share. And because of all of this, we can trust in Jesus. So what we're going to do right now is put our trust in Jesus again and help him, or not help him, ask him to help us continue to grow into that holy temple that he is building. It's his building project, um, and he has chosen to work through us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise, and we ask you right now to be with us. And we pray that you would guide us and direct us. And we pray that you would um, help us as we go forth from this place as little temples where you dwell and that we would see that we're being built together to become the holy temple where people on the earth who don't know you could come to know you, that we shine your light and we pour out your love and share your hope with all people. And Jesus It's in your mighty name we pray. You who lives with with the Holy Spirit together with the Father, one God, now and forever. Amen.